Welcome to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Apparently... I am the Heavy Metal Strength Coach, uh, and I'm joined by one of my favourite people in the world at the moment, Mr. Charles Townend. He is a personal trainer working in Leeds, Graft House with me. He's a fat loss PT, he's a former Mr. Universe, he's a qualified Mac nutritionist, and just generally a mentor in my life. So, Charles. How, did, how did I squeeze so much into such a such few years? Maybe I didn't squeeze mm. into a few years, yeah. It's a lot of years, a lot of years, yeah. So, Charles, why are you in your car? Well, I'm in my car because, as anybody knows, I am renovating a house. Well, I'm not renovating a house myself. I'm paying for the renovations, and that's a lot harder, let me tell you. Hitting nails, dead easy. Having to put your hand in your pocket, a lot harder. But <laughs> I've, got, I've got the gas board and the plumbers in my house removing radiators. And I went into the bedroom and thought, I can do a podcast from up here. And then suddenly I heard this... Brrr, and I thought, yeah, you might want to listen to that for three hours, but it's not something I listen to. So I came and sat in my car. Um, hopefully my sister will come and bring me a cup of tea shortly, but maybe not. And occasionally I might get a tap on the window to say, are you coming out? Are you coming out? No, I'm firmly ensconced in my car today, so I'm not shifting. Okay, well, that sounds good. Then the reason that, the reason that I wanted to get you on uh, is just because I couldn't get another guest. No, I'm joking. Fair um... enough, yeah. Well, I had nowhere else to go for an hour, so, you know, it's fine. <laughs> so, I, I want to delve into your backstory a little bit. I know that you're a personal trainer now, but I'd like to kind of go through the stepping stones that led you to get there. And I know that involves some personal strife, and I don't know how far you want to go back with this, but when did the journey towards a fitness career begin? So... I was thrown into it at the deep end. I lost my job and it was like, oh, what do you do now then? So that's how I got into becoming a personal trainer. But my love in inverted commas of fitness started way before that, way before that. Back when I was 20, I remember going through my local town and a new gym had started and nothing much had changed. I saw two blondes walking and I thought, oh, I'd like to try. I wonder what's in there. So my, my mum sat, rang them and asked if I could join. So I ended up becoming a member of a gym and I've been a member of a gym since I was 21. But like most people, didn't really get very far with it. So I ended up, you know, overweight, telling myself, do you know what? I, if I just did some more crunches, I'd be fine. And then I'd do my crunches and say, oh, well, if I just did, lost a bit of weight, I'd be fine. And it went from there. Obviously, you get a love of fitness and you read magazines and you think you become a bit of a know-it-all and you like to tell people things even though you don't know themselves. But then I had a massive, oof, I don't want to, I don't know what phrase to use, but a massive event happened. Is this what we're referring to about the strife? I was referring to the stroke, but it could be something. Yeah, else. that's yeah, that's 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 where we go. So, I was always um, a fat lad, fifteen stone, ten, which is well, nearly sixteen stones. Um, I don't know what that is in new money. I'm an old guy, as I've already mentioned. So I was, I was quite <laughs> quite lumpy. I, I thought I was amazing, and then one day at the gym, I was doing some lateral raises and the next thing I knew I couldn't see anything the whole world had gone do you know you rub your eyes you see those little sparkly things in front of your eyes you know the ones on around when right that's all I could see uh, in black and white and um, as I stood up I turned around and one of my friends said to me god you've had a stroke I'm like 
Merlola. He said, I know because my granddad won last week. So he knew I'd had one, but like the fitness enthusiast I was, I just jumped back on the treadmill and done another 20 minutes. So, because it's all about the gains, isn't it? No matter what they, you know, you've got to grind through whatever adversity no, you've got. So no, I was grinding good. through having a stroke. No, no excuses. Yeah, that's right. Up at 5 a.m. every day. And then as I walked up, I remember training next to a girl at the time and chatting to her. And months later, she said to me, I actually thought you were pissed because you were slurring your words. As you walked across the gym, you were just stumbling everywhere. The PTs in the gym said to me, um, oh, it's because you're on low carbs. I have a bottle of Lucasaid. I drove myself to the hospital. Yeah, you said, you, like, wow. So I drove to the hospital. Um, they checked me out and I was bored. So I, I took all this stuff off my chest and went home. My sister bought me a pizza. I couldn't find my mouth with the pizza. As you can probably gather, Chris, I've got a big mouth. And pizza is one thing that dessert goes in there. Couldn't find the pizza, couldn't find my hammer mouth. And then I closed my eyes in the chair. And next thing, it was 16 hours later. And it's like, oh, what's happened there? Went back to the hospital and said, oh, yeah, you had a stroke. So couldn't talk. I had three months off work. So I couldn't talk, couldn't do very much. And I suppose my rehabilitation, started at that point by I used to go to bingo every day and I'd walk to the bus stop because the really right so that anyone doesn't know right rehabilitation for strokes has improved massively my rehabilitation was I was second or third floor in Jewsbury Hospital rehabilitation was can you go downstairs to the cafe order a coffee and come back upstairs if you can find your way down there and come back up again you're fine to go home that was the rehab so they left me pretty much on my own. And so every day uh, when I got home, I would walk down to the town hall. I'd have to learn to tell the time again. I'd pay the bus driver in coppers, so I'd have to learn to count again. Then I'd take myself to bingo and just sit and watch numbers all afternoon. Really strange thing to do. That's where I met my girlfriend at the time. So I just sat, watched numbers, and that kind of changed. It's almost like when you have a stroke, you become a baby again. And your brain all becomes really putty-ish and really absorbent of things. And before that point, I wasn't very numerical. After that, it's like numbers, 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 because that's how I taught myself to become me again. So three months later, I could talk, but it was almost like, my, my girlfriend was saying, it was almost like having a child. I was like four years old, sniggering, making little jokes. Oh, that's pretty much like I am now. But it was just basically starting from scratch, starting your life again and having to make yourself better at things so that is the start might seem a strange start the start of my fitness journey uh, what what year did you have that was 2010 so 2010 but, and then you had three months off work where yeah it was february the 4th 2010 i had the stroke and it's indelibly grained in my head you can't really forget that day yeah so three months off work and then a couple of months later, this is when the fitness element kicked in. Like I said, I was always a fat lad. And the, the doctors said, you know, you need to lose a bit of weight. And I'd followed all the magazine articles and stuff. But I'll come on to this a bit later. I remember sitting in the car one night with my girlfriend at the time. And she said to me, you, you know, you've done everything you can think of. But whatever you're doing, it's not right. But don't worry. She put a hand on my stomach and said, because I love your podge. And, I could, and it's like, as a guy... What don't you want to hear, Chris? That someone loved your podge? Yes. And it was, and the next thing was, you'll never have a six pack. And yes. So I then employed a, an online coach, a guy called Luke Haslett, 
whose clients included the body coach back in the day and also included Jamie Alderton, the famous Grenade Jay, um, who's made a massive career on TikTok and Instagram and things like that. So, you know, I was in good company. And they, this was before they'd become famous. So we were all kind of together at the start. So what happened to my career, I do not know. They're multimillionaires and I'm sitting in a car watching two guys change my radiators. So, and so I spent my, I, I had no money at this point because I hadn't worked. And I spent my last 400 quid. And I'll come back to this. I spent my last 400 quid on this online coach. And I remember getting this plan and thinking, oh, it's pretty much like what you'd read in a bodybuilding magazine, this. And I went to the gym the first day and sat on the, sat on the um, rowing machine. It was 6 a.m. I just started to leisurely go at it. And I thought to myself, hold on one second. You've just spent your last 400 quid on a coach. Nothing motivated me like that. Wow. I had, I had no, well, I had 59 pence in the bank. I remember that. 59p. And so I flew. And for the next three months, I went from 15 stone 10 to 12 stone 10. So a stone a month, basically. And that was when a couple of people started to, you know, like I was the fat lad in the gym who wanted to be the center of attention, but never was. You know, I was, I was just like the, the, the guy in the corner, the shy guy. I'd got a crush on a particular girl. And then somebody said to me, why don't you compete? I'm like, you are kidding. I, I cannot compete. And then there was a show called the Miami Pro Show. It's not in Miami, so don't think it's too glamorous. And it was the Miami Pro World Championships. It was the over 45 fitness model, basically with a, grand, a granddad's in uh, shorts. And uh, so I entered 33 weeks of preparation. And after 33 weeks, jumped on stage for the first time. You've been on stage, Chris. It's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, I am such a show that I loved it. And the thing is, I love it on stage when I know that I'm going to win. And the first time I competed, you could see people like looking at me and giving the mirror and almost like, like, fuck. And I, and I went to that first show thinking I just don't want to be last. Yep. And then ended up winning that one. And then the second show that I did, I hated it. And being on stage was terrifying and awful. Because I knew that I wasn't going to win and I knew that I wasn't going to get close. So I had like very, very night and day experiences with bodybuilding. But maybe I'll go back and do one more. But anyway, yeah, like um, so I, I either love or hate it. And the, the next one will decide which one it is, I think. Um, but with your, um, with your strength uh, competitions now, though, with your powerlifting competitions, you have that same kind of adrenaline when you walk on stage. Like you've got no idea what everybody else can do there. You know what you can do. But in things like bodybuilding, which is a, a beauty contest, you've no idea who's going to turn up on the day. So you, yeah. you, you might go, you, I've prepared for 33 weeks and I think I look amazing. You turn up and you take your kit off and you stand next to some guy, you think, wow, this guy's like 30 kilos heavier than me and he's in the same class. What? So you start to get a little bit nervous. But the first, the first one I did, I remember, I remember standing backstage with everyone and then taking a step onto the stage and I still remember to this day the cold feeling of the stage on my foot as I walked out into the crowd and it's like there's a thousand people there right because the St Albans Arena is a big place and I'm there in the worst fake tan ever the worst trunks ever and did my little posing routine then we had to wear like an outfit for the next round and I wore a sailor outfit and, <laughs> I, but, and I've still got it if you want to bother it Chris so I walked on stage with this sailor's outfit and then they announced you know I'd had a stroke and the place went absolutely mental, like a thousand people up cheering and clapping. It's like, you know, having a laugh, you know, because 
as someone's had a stroke, you don't see it as anything bad. You know, I mean, it is obviously a bad thing, but you don't see yourself as anything special, you know, but actually, you know, a couple of millimetres the wrong way and, and the clock could have killed me. But you don't think about it like that. I mean, my grand once said to me, um, I'd had a stroke, one of her friends had had a stroke. And she said, oh, yeah, but my friend had a proper stroke. And I'm thinking, oh, so we can differentiate between proper strokes and the one I had. Fine, that's great. But, yeah, everyone, everyone thought it was amazing. And I finished fifth, fifth in the world. And it's like, wow. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to kid myself into thinking I was good enough to be fifth. I think there was a few sympathy votes there. Fine, I'll take them. I've got a trophy that looks like an egg cup. Brilliant. I'll take that all day long. But um, yeah, and then it went on from there. I entered three more competitions and the final one, I actually won. And that was the Miami Pro Mr. Universe um, over 45 fitness competition. And I remember coming off stage and ringing my gran to say, gran, I've won, I've won, I've won. And her reply was, it's about time. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> right fine thanks gran so <laughs> i was um yeah brought me back down to life with a bang but at this point i still hadn't become a pt i'd start to do pt qualifications and i'd help people in that out out in the gym and i thought well do you know what i might as well have a go because the pt qualifications aren't exactly hard are they well i don't know why, about when you did yours but how hard is it back in the day so and we back did in the, I mean, I, I was, it might, it might have been like 2008 that I started mine, something like that, 2009, 2010, definitely not 2010, a little bit earlier, 2008, and, and it was a two-year course back then, so very in-depth, multiple physical, uh, practical exams, sorry, and the thing that I'll always thank my PT course for is in the fitness instructor part, during that practical, I was so nervous and like, uh, I remember that one of the bits that I actually failed on was the fact that the person that I was um, inducting to the gym around this That's test clear, clearly didn't feel this calf stretch. And I didn't know how to correct them. Um, I did the assessment at a really busy time in the gym and there were no benches Ooh, free. So right, there were no, yeah. no benches free. I didn't know this gym at all. So um, the only bench that was free was... The bench press so i took the bar off one side and just demonstrated everything as it's supposed to be um by the book and the person said that it was an, an inappropriate usage of the equipment but i definitely wasn't in a good place as a personal training yet uh, and i had to go back and then do it again and that ultimately meant that the first gym that i started in was a new gym where there were thousands and thousands of people to induct. So it meant that I got a lot of clients quickly um, and was able to have a career. So if I hadn't have passed at that point, so if I had have passed at that point, I probably wouldn't have ended up working at that gym. So it was one of those things that it almost, I don't believe in fate, but it was very much like I was destined to be um, the coach that I am today because of that failure. So I very much see um, the PT qualification processes going very rapidly downhill over the past 10 years. Yeah, it's it wasn't the hardest one when I did it because I'd, I I was actually halfway through the course and I was helping people in the gym and I'd, I'd got a little Facebook page going and, you know, helping people out, wasn't wasn't taking any, any uh, payment for it and I was doing my competition. So I was, I'd suddenly gone from these like fat lad in the corner of the gym to, oh, wow, he came fifth in the world, Gatge. You suddenly become really, really popular. Like, ask him, he'll tell you. Ask him, he'll tell you. And so, obviously, I thought, well, I'll put this to good use. I'll make a little Facebook page. But then my boss at the time saw this 
and he would said you can't run a business and have a job at here at the same time and so we're gonna have to let you go which i thought was a bit harsh so that Ooh. that anyway we'll leave it there and he he then though I, I must say though right that was the best thing along with the stroke by the way that ever happened to me because I was under so much stress and pressure doing a nine to five, nine to six, nine to seven, nine to eight job that I had a massive amount of tension in my back and I couldn't walk properly. My back had gone, you know, I basically got to look at a, a packet of plates and, and the, my back had go again. And so as I left there, I had no tension. My back was fine. And so for the next three months, I because I had nothing to do because I was on gardening leave, I plowed through my... Um, PT exam, and then got told you after three months, basically, you're not coming back to work. It's like, right, well, I have no job. I've been in this job since school. So I've been at that job for 28 years. I had no skills at anything else. What was I good at? Well, nothing. So I thought, well, you're good at nothing, become a PT. That's not really a good thing to say, is it? But basically, it was true. So I joined up my local gym. I spoke to a place called MP Fit, which I still go to now. It's a nice gym, you know, and some, some new people have taken it over. They've done a really good job with it. But I asked if I could work there. I said, yeah, not a problem. So I got my first client, and she came through the door. And I'm thinking, so you know what it's like? Your very first client, I mean, you are absolutely cacking your pants oh what do i do how do I, how do I deal with this how do i deal with this first thing she said to me was um yeah i've got a slip disc and um i need to i've been yeah 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 i've got a slip disc and i need to um rehab that and um i'm, I'm not right on this my shoulder's not good and i'm like you are having a laugh here and so I, I was expected to do, you know, the, we'll do some nice, you know, goblet squats and we'll do some bench presses and we'll do some lap pull downs. That'll be fine. Couldn't do any of those things. And I had to essentially make up the plan on the spot. And that is how my PT career started. So it's taken us 20 minutes to get there. Uh, but that was it, basically. I was, I had no job and became a PT like that. You, never, you navigated that first um, session, no problem. How did you first find being a PT? When I, the first week that I became a PT, I promised everyone everything. And everyone was going to get a free programme, everyone that I even inducted. I ended up like, crying that I couldn't do it, and I, I nearly gave it up after a week and then decided that, you know, maybe I've promised a little bit too much. Maybe you can make a career here. And my mum financed So how did you find it? So I, I think you've got a really good point there, that new PTs promise the world because they want clients. And you don't have to really. I know people say, you know, give give plans, give freebies, give freebies, give freebies, which, which can have some kind of place. But... Sometimes I don't think that's the way to go. You know, as more experienced PTs like us two, we don't give that many freebies. Well, I don't, well, I hardly give any away. But I found, I mean, I was, the gym I was working in, I think you've got to choose your gym carefully. The people at MP Fit, just like the people at Graft House, know how to lift. And so they take it as a bit of a, a personal affront if, if you say to them, do you need a PT? Because that's something they don't teach you in a PT course, isn't it? how to sell yourself, how to market. And that's the beginning. Oh, you could be earning £40 an hour. And you're thinking, £40 an hour, 40 hours in a week, £1,600 a week. Oh, my God, I'll be driving around in the AMG and flashing my Rolex and going to Dubai before the week's out. Because what they haven't taught you to do is gain any interpersonal skills. And I think, you know, you're nowhere near as old as me. I don't think anybody is. Maybe, maybe Jesus. But we know 
that actually the best way to get a client is to actually be able to talk to them. And mm -hmm. if you're a young guy, 21 to a young girl, even 21, you still have a lot to learn about. You might be the, you might know loads about PT, but you don't know anything about people and how to interact with them and chat and sit with them and, you know, ask them about, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got a, a, a 19 or 19 year old kid. Sorry to be so disrespectful. I didn't mean to be them, but 89 year old kid talking to a 45 year old woman and asking them, you know, well, you know, why are you doing your steps? Why are you eating your veg and protein? Why are you coming to the gym three times a week? Hey, guess what? I've got three kids. My husband's just left me and my job's a real pain in the ass. I have to work a second job at night. I think as a young PT, sometimes they don't know enough. And so as I approached it from an old, I was at the older end. So I was like 45 before I came a PT. And I think, I hope that that life experience stood me in good stead to be able to talk to people. Don't know if you think that. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's really interesting. So, do you think that you had these interpersonal skills, and that's why you decided to give personal training a go, or did they develop via personal training? Or did it look I think they developed via personal training. Back when, back in the day when I was seventeen, I was sexually abused. Yeah, and this yeah. is where it goes goes a bit serious, right? And that does have a massive impact over your whole life people don't realize it but it does so i became very shy very insular wouldn't leave the house had no friends didn't i didn't have a girlfriend until i was 21 this caused massive episodes of binge eating and so this is all relevant to what i do now in terms of people and how i react to people now so my own experience from back in the day helped build me into this now but for 28 years i was so so shy <clears throat> My, my girlfriend at the time said to me that she was very confident and she gave me her confidence because I could not leave the house. I was absolutely shocking. And, and you know me now, Chris, that is not the person you see today. You know, Charles got no confidence. Oh, don't believe that. So I had, I had no confidence. And when I suddenly came into a gym environment, you, the confidence must have been there. But it'd been hidden for like 28 years. I mean, I worked in a, in a basement basically for 28 years. So there was nobody else apart from me down there. So you didn't get to talk to anyone every day. Very, very lonely life. 28 years in a basement, not good. And now, now when I come into a gym, I think what I try to do is, and you mentioned this the other day, I try to get everyone to feel involved. And you mentioned this the other day, I want to talk to everyone because I want you to feel like you're important. And that's, that's just not, that's not people paying my mortgage or paying for my bills. It's everyone, people I, people I work with, people I just see on social media are having a bad time. I, I know what that mental struggle is like. And when you bring that, you know, if you bring that into the gym and help people out, you're going you're gonna to be in a far better place as well. So long, long answer to that, or long answer to that very short question. I think it, my personal development happened more in the gym, but it was formed by my long-rooted um, history. Oh, so there this, we go. This isn't the first. Um, thank you for sharing that. It's like it's so poignant. It's not the first time that sexual abuse has been talked about on the podcast. I had a guy who I absolutely adore in the fitness industry called Jason Leenarts on, and he was sexually abused as a child. And he became a drug addict for many, many years, and has since opened up a gym in, um, I think it's in Ohio, um, I need to check that one out, called Revolutionary You. Um, he has a podcast himself, I was lucky enough to be on there. Um, oh, nice. 
and he's been on mine. Um, but he is one of the most emotionally intelligent coaches out there and creates this whole community that's, that's just so inclusive. And well, that reminds, sorry, buddy, that reminds me that of something that we say, which is like the best coaches are those that have been through the most and have learned the amazing communication skills to help other people out. Do you think you'd agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, you have to have, you have to be able to communicate on all levels to people. I've got a massive, massive range of, um, of clients, you know, from, you know, the, the, the best paid jobs to people who are unemployed. And you have to be able to talk to all of them. But I, I don't see how much they earn as an issue. It's like, how are you going to be with me? Um, they're all there for the same reason, to improve themselves. And you've got to be, as a PT, you have to be able to dig into what they want and get what they want for them. Otherwise, well, they're not going to come back. But you want people to walk out of that gym feeling as good as you. I don't want anybody walking out to think I've had a bad experience. I want everyone who meets me at any point during the day to think, wow, I had I had a really good session there. Or, or you know, he's a nice guy, or he's left a lasting impression. There's a guy called Murpho, um, Aaron, who we've discussed, uh, the body mechanic. And I was talking to someone this morning, I said, I want people to talk to me in the say about me in the same tones that they talk about Aaron. He's the guy, you know, it might not be the best PT in the world, but he's a really nice bloke, or he knows how to do this, or you can go ask Charles this and all that. You want to be approachable and, you know, add value. Of course. And how do you go about making someone feel comfortable? Um, in fact, no, I'm going to go with um, a different tack on this. You have come from a place where you've come from sexual abuse, you've had a stroke, and you've bodybuilded, which is... It's basically self-abuse where you're having to go through real strife and getting through huge issues that a lot of people would say they could never get. How do you then have empathy for people that are struggling with things that aren't as bad, but you still need to push them in the gym? How how do you kind of navigate those two worlds? Oh, so I have... <laughs> wow, this works. It's almost like we'd rehearsed. We haven't, by the way. Um, this is where I come onto my thing, this inclusive fitness, which I've only just kind of trademarked and copyrighted this week. But the inclusive fitness thing I'm, I'm thinking about now in the fitness should be for absolutely everyone. Right. And you have to change yourself so they can get the best out of them. But I've now started almost like giving my clients the ability and the ownership of their own session so they feel it's them that's doing the work. I don't know if that makes much sense. When you say, how, how do I make people want to do that? It's, I, I it's just... That it should be for everyone, isn't it? It's the, no matter what they've been through, like we can still yeah. get them and you can be the facilitator of that rather than using your experience and the fact that you got through it to yeah. say there's no excuses. That's, you've got it from a... It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what I've done, it's what I can help you do. And so I've started saying to my clients now, you know, as they're doing the reps, I'll talk to them the whole time. Obviously, we're giving them the coaching. So then I'll say to them, you know, how much more can you give today? How not, not like how bad do you want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And slapping around the face, not that nonsense. It's like, you know, think about, you know, I'll say to them, you know, think about why you've come today. How much more can you give to get us one step close to that? So 
It's not me saying three more reps, two more reps, and then somebody being absolutely out on the feet. It's like, well, actually, do you know, this is my process and I'm going to take ownership of this. And I've done the, the hard work outside. I've done the diet. So now I can dictate how much I want to give today. So it's not me. It's not being, being a, a preacher. It's me being a teacher. Oh, do you like what I did there? Mom, um, mom, yeah. Right yeah. And, you know, and, and the other thing that I find is when you improve someone's confidence, they become more confident. They, so they become, they become, become more outgoing and they're more inclined to help people. I've got a client at the moment, a fantastic client, who's become exceptionally strong. I mean, she was, she was when, when I started with her, she was repping for 40 kilos for squats, right? For, yesterday, she's knocking out 85 kilo squats four eight sets of eight yeah and people were texting me from the from people on instagram people from the gym text me saying wow she's strong and one lady actually said i've watched this girl's uh, progress she's so strong she motivates me to go to the gym every day and when i showed her, it was like i love this you know i never really wanted to come to the gym before it wasn't my thing but now i'm succeeding and success isn't about what you see on the scales because sometimes that's not going to move no matter what we do, people want to eat. It's one of those things. If you can get people to buy in to any level of success, are the clothes smaller? Are they, are they fitter? Are they eating better? Are they stronger? Just want one of those barometers of progress to improve. And suddenly they, they'll get buy-in. And you've got to work out what's going to get them to buy in. That's the thing. That usually comes from your consultation to start off with. But once they've bought in and you start to improve that one little, little piece, whole lot i just find falls into place plus don't be a dick be nice to your clients so really you know, appreciate that they are going to have bad days appreciate that you know i've i've had this the most shocking of days you know I, my grand died in the last 18 months i tried to commit suicide so i know what it's like and i've seen how people have reacted to me and how, how the support mechanism has worked so you see you think right actually what worked for me may work for these people and you turn it around and you help people like that it's all about helping people be a better version of themselves you know i don't want everyone to have a, an amazing six pack and be able to run a four minute mile and squat 100 kilos and deadlift 200 i just want them to go home saying wow i feel loads better i feel great don't I? that's what it's about you know wake up in the morning i've got no aches and pains i don't feel like i've got cramps in my stomach because i need to go to the i've got diarrhea you know I get up, I have my breakfast, I feel great. I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm not obsessing about food, which is what I used to do back in the day because of the abuse. I used to binge massively. So everything I used to do, I try and get my clients not to do. So my bad experiences, I've now turned around and put them and said, right, you know, we'll try and sort this out and this out and this out. It all comes back to making your clients feel really good. You know that. You, you've been a strength coach, you will know it. When, when somebody hits a new PB, you get as big a buzz as they do. Oh yeah, like when I take someone to a competition, like it's the most amazing, yeah. most amazing thing to to happen. It's so different to to compete in yourself. And yeah. you're right, it, it is about um, putting that experience first. It is about using one's trauma in a way that makes you think life can absolutely suck. So I'm going to try and make the next hour suck less for you. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, I've I've had sessions where, you know, someone's hit a new PB and they've I, I've, I've had a bit been a bit weepy for them. You know, I'm, I'm not that I'm saying I'm a bit soft, but um, what you did that there and the way the way the way you can change people's lives and um, I don't think I'm going to mention a name because she won't mind, right? 
But I've got a long-term client, an absolutely lovely girl, Charlotte. Yep. And I used to train her at my own gym. And by her own admission, she wasn't a nice person. Yep. Absolute. You know, she, she's going to say, you really need to be careful what you're saying now, Charles. But she wasn't a nice person. And she will admit that. Yep. And she came to the gym to lose a little bit of weight. And one, it was one Thursday afternoon. I was training it, and we were doing a silly thing on the prowler, which is when I was doing this, like I used to do for my competitions. And she got halfway through, right? And she collapsed, panting, like, I mean, literally hysterically panting. My next client was a doctor. He was in the waiting room. And he, he said to me afterwards, I thought I'd have to come out and revive her, right? And this, this nasty girl suddenly stood up and gave him this massive hug. And she just said to me, I believe I can do this now. And she's changed into the most amazing woman you could meet. You know, she's an absolutely joy to train. I train her three times a week. Absolutely. So the, the process of weight training and pushing people and getting them to do what they can do the most, it changes people. absolutely changes people. Like, not just like a little bit, but she went from here to absolutely over here. You could not wish for a better friend. I mean, obviously, I still charge her for her sessions, but you could not. <laughs> of course I do. I'm still going to put food on my table. Sorry, Charlotte, but we'll never get rid of that. Um, but you could not wish for a nicer person as a client or a friend or someone you can, I mean, I have trauma in my life. And when I've got trauma, immediately onto all my girl clients, what do you think of this? Yeah, Charles gets shut. You know, so they are super people. But the, it, that came about from going to the gym, weight training, giving them ownership of their own sessions and making them believe that they have value and they are better than they thought they were. I want to give them the confidence the same confidence I had when I went on stage, that they have, they have value. So you give people these transformative experiences. Did you have a particular moment early on in your career that was um, transformative where you thought, actually, yeah, I can do this and I can start to make money. I can start to pay the bills and people are listening to what I say. Can you remember when it started to build momentum or did you believe from the start? I didn't believe at all. I remember I had a great physio. And he was working with some guys in a, a gym in Leeds called L1. And um, that helped me cut my teeth as a PT. Because I remember went in one day to have a chat with the owner about some nutrition stuff. And on the wall, I could see there's a little board that said uh, potential PTs, Charles. And I thought, wow, I'm moving from MP fitting Burst. I'm Burst is a bit provincial, little town. It's not massive. And I'm now moving to the big stage, L1, you know, in Leeds town centre. Oh, my God. I think that was, a, that was the point you think, oh, people actually listen to what I say. People believe I can do this. So, yeah, that, that was the point. Obviously, I've done the competitions and what have you by this point. And it wasn't a biggie. That was, that was the one in terms of physical. And then I remember passing the Mac University, Mac Nutrition University exams about food. And at that point, I thought I've arrived. I actually feel like I'm not an imposter anymore. And I can, I can do this really, really well. And then obviously I came to Graft House and this is where I'm going to big you up now because I remember seeing you at Graft House the very first time I came on a day pass and you're going to, you're going to get, oh, shucks now. But I thought to myself afterwards, well, one, he's a bit of a knobhead. No, I never thought that. But I thought the way you, the way you, the way you approached me and asked me how I was, I just thought, wow, that's a really good way to act as a PT. Don't well up on me now. That's a really good way to act as a PT. Well, I appreciate that. And so when I came back to work with you guys, I realised I wasn't the shit at all. I wasn't very good. And you, I had to elevate myself to your level then. 
So I've, I've had to take another another step up to to match the people I'm working with. You know, there's some amazing PTs at Craft House. Unfortunately, you're not one of them. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Oh, ho, ho. Um, no, you, know, you are, I look at me. You know, we've all got our specialist techniques. And I know that I look at you. If I want to, if I want to get strong, you are you are top of my list. You know, so everyone there has got their own specialist techniques, and I think moving there has jumped me up yet another level. When you say formative, so I don't think there is one moment you say this, this, and this. There's just things that happen along the way. You think, right, now I'm better, now I'm better, now I'm better. You, know, you can't, if, if I worked with someone like you day in, day out, and didn't get any better, then I'd have wasted the opportunity. You know, you can't work with people who are better than you and not improve your own techniques. It doesn't happen. If it does, you're in the wrong job. Yeah, and where do you see this inclusive fitness idea going? Does it just extend to the individual sessions? Or is it going to be, I don't know, is there going to be ebooks? Is there going to be courses for other personal trainers? Like, what, what's the limit on this? You know, the, I haven't thought too far. At the moment, it's just my little team. It was, it was started when I, I suddenly started to put more and more stuff on my Instagram about, about my clients doing well, setting personal bests, you know, eating well, um, sleeping better, losing, losing dress sizes and what have you. That's just me losing a dress size. No, and you're all looking better, all feeling better. And I thought, you know, there's people that you can't affect one-on-one in a gym. But by giving them information outside the gym, so via the social media channels, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you can improve their lives as well. So that's where I got it from. And, you know, there was a guy once said to me, you know, I was on about trying to get people into, when in the first lockdowns, I did like a, a Facebook group about trying to get people healthy. And I put, you know, get, try and get your 10,000 steps a day in. And a PT said to me, 10,000 steps a day, that's the minimum required for human life. And I just thought to myself, yeah, but what about the, 45 year old housewife with three kids who can't get out you know what you're saying isn't particularly because you don't have to be an athlete to be fit if you get an extra thousand steps a day in right over the space of a year that's an extra 365,000 steps if you were to do like say 10,000 steps a day right that equates to an extra month out of your year that you've managed to do just from doing that little habit that 10,000 steps a day which takes 10 minutes Right. So that's the idea of inclusive fitness. Don't be put off by PT saying you're going to be up at five grinding, smashing and all that kind of nonsense. You've got to lick broccoli and sniff chicken to get fit. You don't have to. You know, we're looking at things like mental health. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of people uh, protecting people's mental health. And so I'm, I'm looking at that side of things, which then the physical health follows. They either can eat better. They can um, sleep better. They can be better. And that's the idea of inclusive fitness. Don't think, oh, do you know what I can't do? muscle ups so i better not even bother going to the gym or, or doing my walk that's the idea behind it. you'd have to you have to live on organic food you can just you know make a few you know have a portion of extra veg a day it's things like that so obviously it's just a constantly evolving thing obviously some people are further up the curve than others others are just starting so it's like you know can you get protein and veg with every meal can you do your ten thousand steps no well can you do five thousand steps yeah i can do that right and that's how you start your inclusive fitness not saying everyone should be able to do 100 kilo squats for 20 reps. That's the idea. And I think a lot of coaches get caught up on the idea of it's results, results, results are nothing in the way. The longer that my career is, and there's, there's still very successful personal trainers talking about results for absolutely everything. And for me, it's about the lessons that you learn on the way to results. Yes. Thing, about being able to make those gradual changes to have six fat loss cycles before it 
goes correctly in the seventh one because you finally learn that you need to hide the biscuits in a cupboard or you need to eat three meals instead of seven little ones because that's the way that makes you think about food. And I think that's where the very confusing messages come in. Um, is it all about results or is it just about accepting? No. Well, it, it depends on someone better over time. Well, I, I've mentioned about the results thing before and a lot of people, they, you know, they come to the gym to lose weight, right? But I've said to them, now, no, 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 forget about that. Let's look at making you uh, perform better as a, as a human being, right? And, you know, are your, does your clothes fit better? Are you fitter? Are you stronger? Is your nutrition better, right? And they'll say, well, yeah. So I, I look at five, you know, and the fifth one is, do you weigh less, right? Yeah, as, as barometers of progress. The only one people seem to be bothered about is the one you can't actually see, which is the weight on the scales. It's like, well, you feel better, yeah, and, and you're, you're fitter and you're stronger and you're eating better and obviously you're happy and everything else, right? So why are we bothered that that number there hasn't moved? You know, and that's a, that's a thing in terms of fitness professionals. We need to get our, our grip on is that, yes, while the, the, the weight on the scale is nice to go down, that's not the be all and end all in terms of success. Hence why, you know, I've got people you know, on these strength programs and it's actually the ones who are getting stronger on, on my stories are the ones that are more motivated for other people. Like, I've seen this person get stronger and I want to do that. Oh my God, she's getting so strong. I want to be able to be as strong as her. They're the ones that, oh, he's dropped three kilos. Fantastic, but he's probably just taken a big dump. You know, anybody could do that, right? But somebody suddenly repping out 85 kilo squats, it's like, that's good. And I want to do that. I don't just want to, Go to be, you know, lose three kilos. I want to be a badass woman. One of the reasons that I think you're such a good coach is because you remind people that progress is possible. And that's one of the most empowering things that you can do for anyone. And I've, I see you on the gym floor and I've seen you doing that. And I agree with everything that you've just said there. And I think we could continue talking about coaching skills forever. And I'd love to do this again. Yeah. But um, if we do, we're definitely going to overrun the hour that PT's working. So what I want to use the last however many minutes we've got left, 12 minutes, however long, it doesn't matter, um, just to talk about some mentors in your life, maybe some people oh. who shout out, people that are important in your life. You, you can name one, you can name none, you can name fucking 200 if you like. It'll make the show notes very long, but that's fine. I'm used to that. <laughs> right, so in terms of training the one and only ben bruno ben bruno is an absolute magician in my book he, he said one thing if he wanted to get if he wanted to get so he, he trains the victoria's secret models right that is what he does for a living i mean what a crap living he's got his gym it's actually called his gym the kitchen because he says abs are made in the kitchen which I think is quite funny. Um, yeah. it, trained, it trained Justin Timberlake. It, it, it warmed him up before the halftime show, one of the Super Bowls. It trains Victoria's Secret models. And what he says is, if he wants to get women to get strong, he gets them to squat, hinge, push, pull. If he wants women to lose weight, it will get them to squat, hinge, push, pull, and focus on the diet. It's like, it's so simple. He doesn't overcomplicate things. He says, you know, he puts funky exercises on the internet just so people look at his feed. But when he's coming to things, he just gets people fiendishly strong and really fit. So in terms of how I like to approach my training sessions with my clients, I want them to get strong. I want them to get fit. And I tell them at the start, you know, 
check out check out Ben Bruno. He's an absolute genius. He does spend his Saturday afternoons laid on his sofa uh, eating cookies. Nothing wrong with that. So, uh, yeah. And he actually sent me a birthday. I think I told you this. My ex knew that I was a massive Ben Bruno fan, and she got him. This was really good of her. He, she got him to send me a birthday message. She did tell him that I skipped leg day, but it was so nice of her. And I've still got the message now. So I'm meant to be going to Los Angeles in a few few months' time. So I am going to try and see him, which obviously I'll be buzzing my breasts off at. I'll be an absolute, oh, Ben Bruno. So there's Ben Bruno in terms of weightlifting. And in terms of nutrition, Martin McDonald, the guy who did my Mac Nutrition Unicourse, not because I believe everything he says is gospel, right? I've listened to his podcasts. They are boring. I'll be honest, my sister was listening to his podcast. She went, yeah, I've heard enough of him now. It's, it's crap. Sorry. But it was. It was just like, you know, I'm watching paint dry. But what I would say is taught me um, critical thinking and clinical reasoning. So I will actually look for the uh, mechanism by which something works before I will apply it. It's taught me to cut through all the crap. Um, it, there's no kind of N equals one scenarios. You know, you can you go on PubMed. You can find things. You can, you can look at papers. You can realize if they've actually had... Um, what kind of funding's been involved in that? How relevant it is to you? He had helped me actually develop another skill, which is um, public speaking. You won't believe it from this podcast, would you? But when I when I did the nutrition course, the first thing in one of the first modules is, can you talk to camera, and can you deliver a speech? And so one of my one of my little sidelines is going into companies and talking about uh, nutrition and how you can improve the nutrition of your workforce, thereby reducing um, hours, you know, sick hours. And basically have people at work more. Of course, that all went tits up when COVID hit us because everyone was at home then. But I was still doing online nutrition courses for people. So, yeah, those two people have helped me more, I think, than anybody else. In terms of my, my colleagues, you can't catch shout any colleagues out at our, our gym because everyone, excuse my language, sorry, excuse me, everyone at our gym, I have the, the utmost respect for. You know, you look around sometimes, you think, wow, what the hell am I doing here? I actually said to someone yesterday, I could not think of a happier place to work. Everyone who works there, constant smile on the face. So shout out to the gym we work in. So Graft House, shout out to all my colleagues, Ben Bruno, Martin McDonald. Honestly, when I've worked at other gyms, the camaraderie has been nowhere near. The, what we've got now, absolute amazing team. I agree. There you go. I completely agree. You would say that because you're part of it. <laughs> <laughs> No, but in, in, that's evolved as well. Like, it wasn't like that at the start. It wasn't like that in the middle. It was a great gym to work in, but it wasn't the best team to work within. Everyone had their own strengths and people coming in, but there was no cohesiveness. And, you know, since you guys came over from L1, since Rianne, absolute legend, came yeah. in, since the boys and the girls on reception have come in, like, oh. since Connor came in, uh, just all these guys that the listeners aren't necessarily aware. Don't, don't, um, don't forget Mikey. Mikey was an excellent manager. He ran a good ship. Yeah, oh, for sure. Just um, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's that many people. Yeah, yeah. But just so many people coming in to create this cohesive environment, and that's why people love coming to Grafters. For anyone that wants to find out more information about you, the stuff that you do, your services, everything like that, where's the best places to find you? Probably stuck on a, a business card in a toilet somewhere. No, yeah. it's not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. Um, Instagram, team underscore T underscore Charles. Um, I have a website, 
www.teamt.co.uk. But Instagram's probably the best one. I'm on Instagram all the time, trying to put some decent content out there. Um, and I like to give as much free stuff as I can away because I remember back to that 400 quid, my last 400 quid that I had, right? That was my last 400 quid. If I hadn't had that money, I wouldn't be where I am now. So I try to give as much back as I can. That's the inclusive fitness thing. So if I can give, you know, free ebooks away, how to get how to get your protein in, how to do a 10-day plan. You know, if anybody's really struggling with anything, just give me a shout. If I've got an hour, I don't mind just giving people a session. Say, look, this is what you should be doing. I don't want to see people struggling. I don't want to see people getting unfit because they haven't got the ability, you know, ability to get into a gym. It's inclusive fitness, isn't it? What a great oh. place to end. What a great place to end the show there, my friend. So Charles Townsend. Townend, even. Townend. I, I, I didn't want to pull you up on that, but <laughs> Charles Townend, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Yeah.